welcome to episode 49 of the App Advice Weekly Podcast. I am Brett Nolan of AppAg.net, and with me as always is Trevor Sheridan of App Advice. In this episode, Trevor and I are once again running around like crazy, but we take a moment to stop and smell the flowers before being subjected to experiments and critiqued on our painting skills. How you doing tonight, Trevor? Doing good. Looking forward to running into 2018 with some weird experiments and some crazy paintings. Yeah, it's a it's a nice start to the uh, to the year. We got some good stuff starting things out, so uh, that's always good. And so before we get to the fun times, there is some uh, Apple news that's on the more serious side. The first one is that there's this new Meltdown Inspector exploit to Intel-based devices. So this is pretty important to update your device. It allows, you know, hackers to potentially gain access to the execution mechanics of the CPU so you can have all kinds of potential problems. But Apple has provided a first kind of security fix in iOS 11.2.2 as well as macOS High Sierra 10.13.2. So update your iOS devices and Mac devices as soon as you can just so you don't have any potential risk, at least from this exploit. Right, yeah, and fortunately on the Mac side, you don't have to worry about collateral damage like they seem to be hitting on the Microsoft side right now. Could They had to stop rolling out these patches over there because AMD chips were getting hurt by this Intel patch. So mm-hmm. uh, obviously things weren't quite good, but yeah, Intel is in a lot of trouble right now, especially even their CEO who sold like $24 million worth of stock in November. Uh, yeah. Now he's being investigated because of this. Obviously, he seemed to know something was going to go down. So I, this is just a major cluster that uh, it is going to be a problem for a while until all this gets sorted out. And there's even rumors that you may lose like a almost a 30% uh I, I guess it would be like the performance level of your device once they try to implement this this fix in. I don't I haven't heard anything on the Mac side, but this was one of the early rumors from it. I don't know if in actual effect if it's happening, but they were worried that there could be dramatic performance losses once they kind of patch this whole thing up. Yeah. So that's a delicate balance for sure. Especially what you're talking about, the CEO of Intel possibly knowing because he just coincidentally sold off that much worth of shares right beforehand. And this is hardware-based, so Apple can only do so much in terms of fixing this. But I know every year it's always rumored that Apple's pushing to make an ARM-based processor that works in, you know, the MacBook building on iOS tech. So I'm sure this offers even more incentive to do so. Oh, right. Yeah. The the more they can get away from relying on other people and having everything wholly in-house, which that's the way Apple wants to work. They want control over every little aspect of this thing. So it's just a matter of time before they do it. But and then again, it is a lot of work. And up until this point, Intel had a pretty good reputation. But uh, obviously, that's kind of dashed right now. Yeah. And so, again, iOS 11.2.2 and Mac OS X 10.13.2 update as soon as you can, just in case. Yep. And so one problem that Apple has on their own home front, and they can't blame anybody else, is this 
interesting battery issue because it's not purely so when it first came out it was specifically apple's trying to you know force obsolescence on old devices so that you go and upgrade by slowing down your device it turns out that they actually in january 2017 with ios 10.2.1 they updated older devices like the iphone 6 and the 6s to have this new kind of power management feature where if your battery was degrading and then you were running really intensive processes, it would slow down your entire device so it's not going to cripple the battery that much more. And the problem turned out that Apple did it silently. They didn't let anybody know that they would potentially do this, so people just discovered that their older phones were running slowly, so they assumed the worst, and then Apple had to do a public apology for this entire setup. And then the end result is that now you can upgrade or replace your old battery for just $29. So if you have an iPhone 6 or a 6S, you can go to an Apple store and instead of $79, it's now $29 to upgrade or to replace the battery on your old device. Right. And they're going to do this through the end of the year. And it's actually not only the 6 and 6S the, and then their plus models, but it's also, it also allows you to do it on the 7s and the 8s as well. Uh, the one th- so I downloaded a free battery app. I still have my old six plus, uh, for various reasons. I still have it. I never got rid of it. Uh, and I ran this battery program to see what your battery life is. And mine, it came back as 69% wear. So, and it said very high wear. So that means I only have about 31% of my actual battery life left. So I will definitely spend $29 and this thing will feel like a brand new phone. I'm sure once I'm done doing this, it won't be slowed down. The battery will actually stay charged for a day. So if you have an older phone and you've noticed things slowing down or you're constantly having to plug it back in, you do have until the end of the year. So if you want to ride it out as long as possible, you can, but if it's become such a nuisance that you can't even get any work done with your phone, then definitely go and do this for 29 bucks. I'm going to report back once I have it done and let you know how it went. But supposedly it's fairly simple. You just go in, they do it and you pay 29 bucks. It turns out that with iOS 11.2, they added the iPhone seven and seven plus in with this power management saving feature. So essentially if you don't have the latest phone you could get this battery upgrade and you have that potential problem. And it's worth noting that, you know, battery life is kind of one of the most important reasons that you do want to upgrade. Your old phone stops holding the charge that it used to. And so with you being able to replace the battery for $29, I wonder if less people are going to update their phones. Because I know we talked about the iPhone X. It has its own appeal in its own right. But those older phones, even say you were on the secondary market and it's like, I can't afford $1,000 for the iPhone X, but maybe you want to get a 6 or a 7. You can buy an old phone and then get a battery replacement for $29 on that old phone. So it actually is another kind of incentive as well. Right, yeah. You're basically adding more life, in, especially if you wait till the end of the year. You're going to add tons of extra life to this to this device even if you buy like an old one even if your battery if you bring it in and they test it and there's virtually no degradation to it you can still get that replacement you don't have to be at the 80 percent or whatever they would they would recommend that you wait until you can just get it done and i would definitely recommend if you're somebody who plans to keep your phone for a while 
it it's a no brain. I don't think they could. I assume it's warranted when they do this change that they're not going to break something else in your phone when they do it. I would go do this at the end of the year, and you're going to extend the life of your your phone by at least a year. Yeah, so that's it's definitely worth noting. And then also, it's likely that the iPhone eight and the iPhone X are going to have that power management feature added in a year or two. So they're going to be, you know, Apple's going to keep doing this going forward to their older devices because they think it's a good thing to do to rather than fry the rest of the device because the battery becomes overheated. They're going to shut down processes and slow down your device. So in their eyes, your device could technically last longer. But like you said, if you're going to do that battery replacement, you got to take advantage of the $29 in 2018 because... It will go back to $79 going forward, and all future iPhones have the potential to add this in because it's not a glitch but a feature. Right. Well, I'm also wondering if they're going to end up reducing the price in the future of replacing this battery because that's one of the things that people love about their Android devices is if that battery starts to underperform, you just go out, you just buy a new battery and pop it in. You don't have to bring it into a store and have them replace it for you. But just the way the iPhones are manufactured, they make it so difficult that you really can't do this on your own without taking major risk that you're going to destroy the phone. One other thing they did mention was they were going to add to iOS some ability to give more visibility for the consumer to see what their overall battery health is. So like this app that I ran that told me the health of my battery, I think they're going to put this kind of stuff directly into iOS that you can go to the battery setting and then it'll show you this information they have programs that you can do this on your mac as well where you can go and see just how much wear this been to your battery since you started and i think i heard that they're going to do this on ios as well just so you can see this information and they're not hiding it they want to be much more upfront with this so that you know why things are getting slowed down right and so that will actually be a benefit in a later version of ios because you always kind of assume that oh my battery's getting worse but you don't have like the specifics to it so now apple will tell you and you know use their own kind of connected to ios setup to figure it out yep and so that's pretty much the apple news for the past couple of weeks because we did focus on the best of 2017 last episode and so that means there's a new app this week it's been around in the store but it's worth mentioning just because we can both test it, and the app is called Focus, and it's spelled F-O-C-O-S, and it offers a really quick way to get a bokeh camera on your device. So it works with the 7 Plus, the 8 Plus, or the X, and neither of us had the 7 Plus, so now that we both have the X, you know, there's the special portrait mode built right into the camera app, but this app, it doesn't have that kind of limitation or restriction and then it just seems to be a more powerful version of that bokeh because there's a bunch of third-party apps in the app store that do you know low light mode or manual controls all kinds of different things that the stock camera app doesn't do and so this is just a different version of it focusing on a very specific kind of 3d capture dual camera system Right. Yeah. What this allows you to do is actually take any of the portrait photos that you've taken with your phone, not even just one you're taking right now, but any that exist on your phone, as long as you have one of those models, 
and then you can go and apply this stuff and change the focus after the fact. So you can add this in however you want later without having to decide when you took the picture, this is how exactly I want to do this whole bokeh effect. You can go back through and then there's all kinds of extra filters you can buy in a in a in app purchase that allow you to do even cooler effects, but you get the most basic that kind of recreate what Apple's doing directly on the phone, but now you can go back and do it later whenever you want to. So, and it worked surprisingly well. I, I took an old photo that I hadn't done any real effects. I just took a quick uh, portrait photo, went back and kind of adjusted it so that my daughter looked like she was almost like floating there. And it came out really nice. I, I'm curious. I haven't tried any of the, the paid filters yet, but some of them sound like they could be pretty cool. So maybe I'll pay 99 cents and try it out for a month just to see what there is. Yeah, they give you a few filters for free, which changes kind of the blur in the background. So there's like a creamy blur or bilinear, bilinear or swirly reflex. You know, it changes the actual focus style. And then also, once you take a shot within the app, if say you take something in the foreground and that's what you want to highlight, but then later you're like, oh, I want to highlight this thing in the background. You can just tap anywhere to redo the focus effect to highlight something else since it's like, it's not locked in place. You know, it's a live kind of entity that you can always edit down the road. It's like the ability to edit past photos. You can do that with future photos. Right. Yeah. We talked about an app like years ago, I believe it was where we had that focus changing thing, but it really was kind of a whole separate thing you need to do where this one, it seems to be just much quicker and simpler to just tap right back into that and change that focus however you want. And you don't, it doesn't, it, because those photos even already exist, like it's all right there and super easy to do. And then there's this neat little feature. It's, I don't know how valuable it is, but you can actually view the 3D composition of your photo. It turns it into these like little slits on this canvas. So essentially, you're usually looking at your photo straight on. You turn it to the side and can see all the little slits that make up the entire composition of your photo and pinch and zoom and re move it all around. And you're going to look like Pinocchio or some kind of major humongous nosed person when it does this, just to warn you. Yep. And so <laughs> the app is free to download. And then there's a subscription base setup where it's 99 cents a month, or you can spend 9.99 to permanently unlock everything in the app. But you can just try it for free to see if this is the kind of thing you like. Yep. So that's Focus, and that means it's time for some new games. And the first one this week comes as a mashup of two relatively well-known ideas. It's Bridge Constructor Portal. So it takes the classic elements of Bridge Constructor where you use kind of physics-based construction to create a bridge across the gap. And it infuses it with a portal theme. So that includes Gladys doing kind of a narration or at least a tutorial instruction kind of setup. And then you can send, you can create bridges between portals. So you have these little cars and you have to send them through the green portals and then it will exit out the green portal. Then you have to go into the blue portal, the yellow portal until you reach the exit point. And you have to make various kinds of bridges in this structure. And the entire setting is that kind of futuristic white tiled environment to build in yeah so the thing i really love about this I, I really enjoyed the bridge constructor games in the past but this one 
I, I was a little nervous, like, is it going to be a painted-on theme? Are they just kind of trying to get people to buy it by putting the theme? But they really marry the theme into the whole game. They bring in the humor of Portal. They, it has that whole character. It feels like it was made like a Portal game, and then they use the bridge constructor kind of mentality for the actual gameplay. But everything feels like you're in a, the world of Apture Science and they make the the humorous jokes they have all the various different things like the portals and the propel propulsion gel the repulsion gel and you get to play with all these things you're familiar with from the portal world but now you're kind of building these structures in order to help the cars navigate through the various portals across the various gels and reach the end with their their subjects intact and then you play through each level twice so what you have first you have to just figure out how to get a single vehicle through then that structure you created it may or may not survive once you start sending three five ten various cars depending on what the level requires through the whole process so now you might have cars flying through one portal racing in the way of another car as they're flying across and going into a different portal and now you have to test and hopefully the structure that you built is going to outlast all of these things and all the cars will make it through before it falls apart otherwise now you're going to do some retooling in order to get that multi-car like star to pass to then move on to the next level and these levels become surprisingly complex. You know, you start off, you build like a suspension bridge or you just build the regular bridge where you add the little support beams down below. And then you start getting to the point where there's like four different portals and you need to have a bridge that can span a gap but then collapse at a point where then you can drop straight down after that bridge is now disappearing. And like you said, when you just have to build it for one car to pass through, that's easy, it's straightforward enough. But you have to make all six go through. It really changes that dynamic when your bridge kind of has to react and manipulate after that first car goes through. Right, yeah. You might see that first car go through and then pieces start to fall down. And you're like, I don't care. It worked. And then you know that that's not going to work for the next the next trial where you have all those cars and so now you got to rethink it or you got to try to try to like bulk up certain areas i did find it was a lot of trial and error and then sometimes it was just like tossing anything i could up there to try and do it i like the ones where i can more plan it out and then there were others where it was just so overwhelming that you just started just throwing whatever you could up there and hope that it stayed. And then eventually you would kind of work your way into a, a situation where you go, oh, now I understand. I have this structure. It's holding. I just need to get a little more over here. It was more like the compressed levels. I think I enjoyed a little bit more rather than the, the wide open ones. Yeah, I felt the same way. The only kind of problem for me is it's a little bit tedious with the menu and like switching between the different suspension types or the different extra materials and then you place them then you can tap on them to switch them into solid pieces and it just was a little tedious it's not preventing me from moving forward it just was a little annoying to get going especially when you have to build really complex structures and there's a lot of pieces you're going to add in it gets a little annoying as you're going on 
Yeah, I agree. It's on those larger levels where you need to build really big structures because you can't just build large frames for it. You have to make those frames up of lots of tiny little like triangles in order for it to survive. They actually have a nice little book in there within the app that kind of teaches you basic structures that you can rely on that might help you out in order to to build the different things you're going to need to build and they do have a nice tutorial that kind of guides you into it that you learn various things as you go but it is kind of tedious especially in those larger levels where you have to draw i'm not over overestimating at least a hundred tiny little triangles out of each individual piece and then some of those you have to then turn into solid things then you have to support it with extra wire that hangs off of other areas and it can get it can take you a long time in order to create some of these structures only to then see them fall completely apart and then you have to start over again and then do this all over again until finally you get something that sticks so it can be tedious at times yeah especially when you have to switch like say your first run kind of messed up and then you just want to move things a little bit or do tiny adjustments rather than rebuilding the entire thing you have to touch and hold to kind of activate moving rather than editing or deleting and that's also you know it adds to the tedium of the level so for me at times I found like I wanted to play other games instead of trying to go through that again yeah if I if I just spent like 20 minutes building something and didn't work I usually left the game came back in later and retried it because I, I didn't want to sit there doing the same thing I just did for 20 minutes. So yeah, it, that's, I think the one downfall of the game, but otherwise they really nailed the, the feel and fun of a portal game, even though this isn't, I guess, officially a portal game. Well, it is, but I, a lot of people wouldn't call this like a portal three. They, it's not that same, exact type of gameplay but it definitely has all the fun and feel i would say even more so than than the pinball zen pinballs portal pinball had this i felt like i was more in the world with this yep and so that's bridge constructor portal it's 4.99 it's universal and then there's sonic runners adventure which is trying to be the classic sonic game but it's not from sega it actually comes from gameloft and at first glance i was like Okay, they have that classic 2D structure, the runner setup where it's all about speed and pacing. Okay, that's good, that's good. And then you remember that there was Mega Run, which had kind of that sonic feel, but with Redford from Mega Jump. So it had that idea, okay, I can get behind that. And then you actually start to play the game, and all that promising stuff kind of just trips and stumbles and falls and lies, falls flat on its face, simply because it's this auto-runner setup where all you have to do is tap to jump. Sonic's going to run automatically, and then not only that, but there's these weird kind of like pseudo-cutscenes where some of the most iconic sequences and stretches of the classic game, Sonic just runs through automatically, like that corkscrew, corkscrew kind of pathway or, you know, the big looping spins into a, like, spring point jump off. They're all kind of cutscened away, so your major part of the game is just focusing on collecting coins over and over again until you get to these really neat sequences that all control is removed and you just kind of watch them and then you do it again. 
I totally agree with you on that. Just I'm taking one step back first. So <laughs> the weird thing about this game is we saw this game before. So Sega released this back in 2015 as like a free to play game and people hated it because they just nickeled and dimed you on like everything. And now it's kind of odd since GameLock has shifted to that free-to-play model that now they would come back with a wholly paid version of this game and it's GameLock creating it, I think, with Sega's help because the game looks very similar to the original. And so that just kind of odd. But going to back to what you said about those cutscenes, that's what I was... That's the part that I found most annoying about this. So I... I didn't like it on the iPhone 10. I, I thought it was way too tiny. I couldn't really even see what was going on. I played on the iPad, on my 9.7-inch iPad. I enjoyed it a lot more on the iPad. But you would go along, and at times the rings would kind of just disappear into the background, and then you're moving along, you're just tapping to jump and doing your double or triple jumps, trying to hit things, collect the rings. And then you would come you, and you think you're going to do these amazing things that you love in the Sonic games. And all of a sudden it kind of zooms in a little bit and it goes on this auto run type of like on rails thing that you can't even control. And you're doing all the amazing fun stuff you were looking forward to doing and you can't do it. And that's what annoyed me the most because that's what I really wanted to do. I wanted to do the thing where I'm sliding on on the rails. I wanted to do the corkscrews and all that stuff is taken away from you. You're just doing the just running and jumping on things to kill them and collect the rings. You do get to use the cannons where you bump into the cannon then and it kind of just cycles and then you tap when you want to shoot out of it. You do get to do some of the stuff, but anytime you go through uh, one of the, like the speed rings, the red speed rings in the air, it'll just start launching you through a whole sequence that you don't even get to do anything with. And so I found that a bit frustrating and I'm not sure. I, I just wish I got to do more. I know it's called Sonic Runners Adventure and I played the original. So I, I knew kind of what to expect, but I was hoping now they did a great job of limiting all of the any kind of in-app purchases and things. But I just was hoping that in this day and age now, two years after the original came out, that they would have added some element to the game that made a little more interactive rather than just tapping to jump. Yeah, and since they remove so much control of the game, it's also exceedingly easy, like to the point where it's just boring and bland going through. You're just going through the motions, and it gives you less incentive to want to keep playing the game because there's no real challenge. And without challenge, there's no point to be in this game, especially when they take away all the other kind of potential fun flourishes of the game. And I don't even know who okayed to release this experience. Well, you're given... Uh, I think you're just given way too much time in each of these levels. You look and you have these three objectives to do in each level. And normally you have like a good quarter of the race, if not more left by the time you've already accomplished most of these goals. I, I'm almost done the whole, there's four different locations and I'm almost done with all the levels in the first location. I haven't tried the other three locations yet, but 
in every single one of them. The only one I didn't earn three stars right away was because I needed a different character in order to get the third star. So I had to go back into that level and replay as this other character, and then I got the third star. But the, it does seem like it's really geared pretty easily. And I don't know if that changes as you progress further. I hope it gets a little more difficult as you progress further in the game, but it definitely seems far too easy for a Sonic game should be tough. Like, And this didn't seem tough at all. Yeah, Sonic games are usually the toughest when it comes to platformers. And so to have go all the way to the opposite end of the spectrum where it's too easy seems really just a poor use of Sonic and the brand name. I don't know. I, I guess maybe I'm expecting a different game than they were putting out. I mean, I should have probably guessed just from the original, but yeah, once again, I mean, it's been two years. They did improve the graphics, but I was hoping there'd be more changes, but I guess not. Yep. So that's Sonic Winner's Adventure. It's two ninety nine. It's universal. And maybe free-to-play would probably have even fewer people. You know, oh, no, the free-to-play was it, horrible. Yeah, so it, without knowing that it's free to play, maybe they got some people to spend two ninety nine on it. No, no the, the, believe me, it was way worse as free to play. Like it was like no, every that's two not what seconds. I'm saying. I'm saying if this game was free to play, more people would have tried it and hated it right away. Oh, oh I, see. I think that two years <laughs> oh, removed, yeah. you have a different audience, and people don't remember that far back. So just taking yeah. this by itself, I gotta imagine having that buried entry has more people you can get money from, but then fewer people are even going to test it to experience it. True. Yeah, yeah. That's the trouble you run into. But uh, next up, we have uh, Lotus Digital, which comes from Direwolf Digital. And this is a digital board game. And Lotus is a, a beautiful set collection card game where players are competing to place pedals. They have these cards with petals for various flowers on them and they're placing those into like a center pool to build up flowers so there's different flowers have different numbers of petals so you might have the iris which only has three petals all the way up to the lotus which has seven petals and each player has their own little deck of cards and then they have a hand of cards and on your turn, you get to perform two different actions. So this could be either to play a petal card from your or multiple petal cards from your hand onto a single flower or to exchange your petal cards so that you can get different ones to hopefully build up more of a certain type, or to then move these little guardian bugs, which they help you kind of retain control of a flower that's out in the center. And you can repeat the same action twice if you want to. And so those flower petal cards, some of them already have little guardians on them. And so what you're doing is you're playing those cards out to the center, and whoever has the most of their bugs on the petals, the total count of them, they're currently in control of that flower. So when that flower gets finished, so someone plays the final petal on that flower and only one of each type of flower can be out there, then those whoever has control of that flower gets a, a token. And this token can either be a special ability token, which gives them like additional, uh, allows them to hold extra cards or allows them to draw extra or play extra cards or gives them this little guardian that's now worth two points instead of a single point. And then, or they can select to choose a five point scoring token, which is added victory points at the end of the game. 
And whoever is the person who plays the final card on that flower, that could be the same person who has control or not. They get all the petals, and each of those petal cards count as a single point at the end of the game. So you're just constantly playing this. You, it's this whole battle of trying to decide when to keep control or when to finish the flower or to try to keep someone from finishing a flower. And you just play through until someone's whole hand of flower cards is gone. Then you add up the, the victory points, and then the winner is whoever has the most points. For this game, I was surprised how relatively straightforward and simple it was usually when you talk about digital board games they're like these 10 pound 10 pages of rules that <laughs> takes this like hour-long tutorial this game the tutorial is really quick and simple you can get into it and it lets you kind of put in as much strategy as you kind of want to take out of it to just balance when you play the different flower petals because it's straightforward enough that you put out a seven-flowered petal, you know that's going to take seven petals, so you put on two. And then you're playing with three other players, and how many petals do they want to put on that? Because if they put on a few, they might take the guardian ownership of it. You could even throw one of those guardian insects on it. So say that I create this whole seven... I put the last petal on that seven-flower petal, but my opponent already has put five petals, or they have a guardian score of five. They'll get points... So I'll get the seven points for completing the flower, but they can get that special card system. You can take five points or get an extra card in your deck. They have that opportunity because they had the guardian ownership of it. So it's a really delicate balance. So if you go and try to complete a flower, not all is not lost in case you don't. You're not the last person. You know, you can kind of hedge your bet against the next rotation of players taking advantage of what you've put into play. So it's a really interesting balance throughout the entire game. And each game goes relatively quick because your card deck isn't that tall. So, you know, you can kind of transition and play multiple games and get in the full flavor of it. Yeah, I didn't play the, the physical version until I went to PAX Unplugged. And then I had a little tutorial and they had this little learn to play thing. And I went and learned to play it. And then I went right from there to go see a demo of the digital version. So, and I was surprised because I own, I bought the game because I had heard it was great. I never, I never played the physical version. I, I owned it. And then I was surprised like you, I was surprised at how simple and straightforward the game is, but then the more you dig into it and it definitely with different numbers of players, the strategy changes because with two players, you know you're getting control. You, you're, it's your turn right after the next person. So you can kind of plan ahead. You kind of roughly know what they might do. You don't know for certain, but you have a, a little more ability to to react right away. Where if you, once you start adding other players, and if there's three players, now you have you don't really know what's going to happen with that third player by the time it makes it around to you, where you may not want to... Uh, necessarily build up the count of a, a flower because that third person will end up probably stealing the flower away before you have uh, a chance to get it. So maybe you want to spend your time building up guardians on a, on a particular flower just so that at least you get something when they close it out. And then maybe you can now uh, get fi uh, five points where maybe they got seven, but you got five, so they really only netted two. So it's... It, it is a lot more strategic than it looks just because it is so simple at first. But 
I really have been enjoying it. The the one aspect that I wish I could do, which you and I tried, was we could not get the multiplayer to work. And I don't know what's going on there. They do have some nice various levels of AI, but it would be cool to be able to play against multiplayer, but I, we just couldn't get that working for some reason. Yeah, I tried my best, even registering for a new account. It validated it because I couldn't then register again with the same email. But for some reason, I couldn't properly log in and we couldn't connect. So hopefully they get that figured out because this would be even better to play online just because it's so easy for anyone to get up and going. And then even the card deck has its own strategy because you can draw random cards and those have guardians attached to them. But if you pick from cards that are already dealt out, you know, I want this five petaled flower card because that will help me finish one it doesn't come with a guardian so you even have to make a decision right there right yeah they, so there's a whole separate four cards that are over off to the side none of those have guardians on them but they'll help you fill up your count of cards so that that way you if you want to finish out a flower that's your best bet because you know you're picking those where you don't necessarily know what you're going to get from your own pile but there's a higher chance you're going to get one with a guardian in it from your own pile so there's all those other uh choices to be made i did notice when i played the physical version and with three other people uh two other people actually it was three other people none of us ever went to that pile of cards because you always just went we always just went to our own pile because we wanted those guardians versus trying to finish flowers because we knew we would never have a chance to finish it by the time it came around to us uh the one thing i should note is this uh, Direwolf Digital, the company that put this out, they're, they pretty much do, are doing all the digital versions of Renegade Games' uh, board games. So Renegade Games is also the one that put out Lanterns, the Harvest Festival, last uh, it was either last year or the year before. And so Direwolf did the, the digital adaptation of that as well. And so they just put together these really nice, uh, well-polished, beautiful-to-look-at ports and uh i'm curious to see what they do next for for renegade games they have a nice catalog of games so i'm sure they must be working on something i just don't know what that is yet but i will definitely be picking up everything they do from going forward and that's lotus it's 4.99 it's universal and then to round out the week is passepartout starving artist which is quite a diverging pathway for games just because it doesn't really fit into a particular mold so the game starts with essentially you get to draw paintings but there's no like missions or specific things you need to draw instead you can draw whatever your heart desires and then once you complete it it then goes up for sale you have people who walk around and they'll give you a specific price you can accept that price or not and as you play the game, bills come in, so you need to sell paintings to pay your bills, and you realize that the more complex and just the more time you take with your paintings, the more funds are kind of going to come your way. So it's a delicate balance because bills keep coming in and you don't want to go broke, so you need to get paintings out, but you realize the more time you put in, the more money you're going to make. So it's that constant balance, and really the only thing missing for me is to have like draw bedroom scene draw a sunscape or some kind of thing because after a while you kind of run out of ideas of what you're going to draw so yeah it's a very weird game it, it's a 
port from a PC game. I This one really blew me away. I really enjoyed it. I don't know. It's just a very strange game. But so you're this artist who's kind of outside and people are just wandering around. Like, so you're living on the street painting these paintings and people are just kind of wandering by and looking at the paintings and offering you money for them. And like you said, you get to decide if you want to take that money or if you want to wait. And I don't know what kind of algorithm they're using within the game, but it, it definitely can tell that you rushed a painting, but then it does some kind of analysis of the painting because like a critic will come in and he'll do an analysis analysis of what you painted and it'll be it doesn't seem like it's just throwing out a random set of words it seems like it's actually kind of focused on what you did and so what will happen is as the game progresses you have a really basic set of controls so you just have like a little basic set of colors and uh, and a utensil then as you go you unlock new tools to make better paintings and there'll be like these little news briefs that kind of come up and they'll tell you like uh like one of the ones came up with mine was like this horse actor is now most popular out there and so i drew a picture of this horse acting and on a stage and that thing all of a sudden sold for a ton of money and then there was another one where it said a man with a boot on his head is running for president so then i drew this picture of a man wearing a boot on his head and it said he was holding a sign that said like for president and that thing seemed to sell for a bunch of money. So it almost seemed like they were kind of giving you those hints of what's popular with the pop culture at the moment. And maybe you should kind of draw that kind of stuff. And the the people that come up and offer you money will tell you, oh, I liked your darker stuff or I like this better. So you kind of get hints of where you should be going with it. But yeah, they don't give you outright tasks of draw this or you need to draw a this certain painting and this will sell. But those new stories kind of give you a hint. And maybe it was just co- pure coincidence that I drew what was in those and it did because I can't see how this thing has enough intelligence to analyze what I'm doing and see that that's what I drew a picture of. But maybe it was just the time I put into it and like focused on drawing something in particular that it worked really well and it just was pure coincidence and 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 i've got lots of money but i don't know it's just something really strange about this game and even though your drawing tools are very primitive i just am really enjoying the quirkiness of the whole thing yeah that is interesting because it fits in with the whole exploration idea of the game where it doesn't, you know, walk you through. It doesn't have a tutorial. It just sets the scene and it tells you you can go tap on the canvas, the easel, to start painting, or you can tap on the register to see your funds, and then it's up to you to do whatever you want with the game. So it fits in with that idea to take cues from the news stories. Like mine had Eiffel Tower news story, and I didn't pick up on that I should draw an Eiffel Tower, but I guess that does make sense. I was making plenty of money, though, like I said, it seemed to be a time distinction, but it does make you wonder what their back-end algorithms are to judge your paintings and to figure it out. Like, do they have some image matching system where if you drew the Eiffel Tower or just even anything like it, it's going to give you more of a boost? Like that one you said with the horse, it seems like a very big, specific object that maybe it could identify. 
Right, yeah, maybe if I drew an object that looked enough like a horse, which I did a pretty decent job, uh, <laughs> then maybe it'll, uh, maybe that's, I think I even gave him a microphone or something, like, I don't even remember, but it was, uh, I don't know, it's fun, just because the, especially those news stories are so weird, too, like, a lot of them are weird, that it kind of gave me weird things to draw, I mean, every once in a while, like, while you're waiting, those don't come super often, so you do have to keep on creating art if you ever want to have enough money to survive, so you do have to kind of come up with something, and, like, I did try to make, I started to make a lot of pictures very similar to each other, and they almost seemed to pick up on that as well, that I was trying to like just rush out a lot of similar things because i was just trying to get it out but maybe that was again a time thing i i gotta look into this i'm curious how how this thing does it because i don't remember the app being super huge i don't remember how big it was of a download and i don't think it has to connect to the internet to go out and like run some algorithm against it to see so i don't know i'm curious but it uh I, I'm enjoying it. It's another of these really weird indie titles that comes from the PC. I mean, we saw this with uh, a lot of the titles last year where these weird PC indies are really coming over and they're making a splash on iOS because especially this, you're drawing. Like, what better way to use your finger to draw than to use a mouse and click and drag? Like, it's just more natural to just take your finger like you're drawing on a piece of paper and drawing right there on the screen. So, I don't know. It's a perfect fit for iOS, and I, I'm happy to see more of this weird indie stuff show up here. Yeah, I love just a different idea. Not a, another platformer or shooter game or quick action arcade game just something completely different that's really indescribable to match it up with something else on the app store and then they do such a good job to keep you intrigued in that back-end system of those news stories and just being able to draw whatever you want and trying to experiment and balance and see what the game kind of connects with your drawing yeah yeah and so that's Passepartout, Starving Artist. It's $4.99. It's universal. And I think that's everything for episode 49. Yep, that's all I have. To everyone listening, we hope you enjoyed. And we'll talk to you next time. Talk to you later.